Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. So, here we are. Um, It's funny, whenever... I want to make a bunch of jokes about the space. Some of them obviously speak for themselves, like the hole in the floor over there with the cup in it, uh, or the fact that we're a few drapes short, which are in the mail currently. (laughs) Um, But it's funny, when I was in here, uh, there was no HVAC system, and so I was like, wow, this is going to be so awesome. And then then the uh, estimator looked at me, he's like, well, he's like, we got to put an HVAC system in, and he's like, and it's going to be pretty big. And I was like, well, how big? And he's like, well, it's going to like go down the middle of the building. And I was like, oh, okay. And so they put it in, and then they spray paint everything black. And I was like, it still looks really good. And then I stood on this stage, and I'm like, I'm a tall person. This is very, very close. But at the end of the day, it's great, and I'm happy to be here. So if, uh, it, maybe this will, will yield better to shorter people, but um, it feels great to be here. I don't know about you guys. It's like, I uh, feel like we're like, when you move into your studio apartment, and you have like an Ikea table and a lawn chair, and you're like, here we are. This is great. We have our own place. So uh, I want to jump in. We're going through Matthew. This is week 30 of Matthew. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Week 30. Only 45 more weeks to go. Um, I, I don't know if I'm kidding. I haven't actually counted the whole way. But, uh, but hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, grab those, your phone. We actually have some back there. If you want to grab one in the, in the Connect room back there, we have a Bible if you want to grab one. Uh, we're going to be in the NET Bible, N-E-T. But uh, today is, is kind of fun. I actually, like, the, the progression of this space was obviously not, it kept getting moved, and, and it's cool because I was like, you know what, we're just going to keep teaching through Matthew. Like, I'm not going to act like we should try to time it perfectly to, like, this passage. And, and then, ironically, like, the way things were laying out, we're, we're jumping into Matthew 10, if you're looking where we're going, Matthew 10, verse 1. And it's this, it's the second teaching of Jesus. Matthew is, is written with five, we saw, there's seven major parts, front and back, and then five, like, chapters, if you will. And each chapter has a big monologue, uh, uh, we call it a discourse, is the fancy name, of Jesus talking, teaching. And so the first one that we talked about after the origin story of Jesus was the Sermon on the Mount. It's this radical teaching about, like, the upside-down kingdom and living life contrary to the world. This one is now about, okay, all of that, we've seen Jesus do it, it's becoming a reality. It's this idea of the kingdom becoming a reality. And now he's like giving it over to people to do. And so in in chapter 10, there is this really cool switch where Jesus had done everything. He had like, if you remember some of the stories, he had uh, casted out demons, he had stopped the seas, like the wind and the storms. He had done these remarkable things and and it's so cool. And you're like, wow, that's so cool. Jesus did that. And then he's like, yeah, now you all are going to go do it. And I think we forget that sometimes, one, that he told us to do that and still kind of tells us to do that. But two, that, that he does it with ordinary people. And so I, I was thinking about this story and I was thinking about, man, like the, 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 the time of, like, that we're in with this space and with in two weeks, Lord willing, there'll be like 100 people in here minimum. It's going to be packed. Uh, the acoustics are going to be even better. And, uh, and I'm just really excited, but I'm thinking about, like, if people who are here, and a lot of people come visit, right, like mom and dad, and people come from all around to support us, and then they go back to their other places. But at the end of the day, if you follow Jesus, this is something that should be on all of our hearts, not just, oh, we're a church plant, so we care about reaching people. Like, it, it's, it's the call of the follow of Jesus is that we, we reach people, we love people, and we go on mission for them. And so one of the coolest things that kind of brought to my mind in association with this 
is when you sit around a table and you just tell stories. Maybe you guys, I don't know how your Thanksgiving was. Uh, ours got a little bit political, and that was interesting <laughs> about vaccines and stuff, so that was fun. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, maybe your Thanksgiving was like ours. You're like, ah, t- you know, hit or miss. But, uh, but maybe you had a great Thanksgiving. Maybe you sit around the table, and maybe your, your mom or your dad makes you say, all right, what's the thing you're most thankful for? And you say, I'm thankful, and you have to pick one thing or whatever, right? Great stuff like that. Maybe you didn't have that, right? Regardless, you've, you've had this moment where you sat around with friends, maybe around a fire, maybe around a table, maybe around a meal, and you just, you just go around and you just reminisce, right? It's like this, it's just this natural, like, beautiful, nostalgic feeling you get, right? And, oh, I remember that one time so-and-so jumped off that building and he broke his leg and then we were in the ER, like, you know, stuff like that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I remember this time. And, and we had this moment with Sarah when we were um, first together. I went to a school, a small Christian school called Judson University in Chicago, and it was like... 1,200 students, so like it felt like a small high school, right? You kind of knew everyone, and so there was a lot of like fun camaraderie around that. And Sarah's at this time, um, I think we were we were in Phoenix. Were we engaged? Yeah, we were engaged, and all my friends were a couple of my really close friends happened to be in Phoenix. So we drive up from Tucson, and we go hang out with them, and we sit around this table. And I kid you not, probably three four hours, we're just going in circles, just telling stories about uh, you know like crazy stuff we had done that I actually probably can't repeat on stage, but. Other stuff that was not as crazy, uh, and, and just laughing and giggling, joking about, like, there was one day where a couple of us were in this class called Interpreting the Bible, which you think I would care more about that class, but at the time, I was a punk, and I was like, whatever. So we're, like, walking into class, and I was, I look at him, I was like, you know, I just, like, don't want to go to class today, and Chipotle has a BOGO right now, and so we just, like, literally, we're in the door, the teacher saw us, we just turn around and left, and just ditch class. He was not happy, but we had Chipotle, so it was a great story. Um, and we took a photo, we were like pumped, right? And so little, little stuff like that where you're like, why did those things, why do those stick in our brain? And I think that's the power of story is the story is what life is all about, right? Like the Bible is a story, it's a narrative of the world and, it, and about what God is doing about evil and how he is bringing good upon the earth. And we relate to that story and then we relate to other people's stories, right? If you sit with someone for an hour and you don't know them at all, if you can hear their story, you will learn an immense amount about them. Even a good therapist the first few weeks is just questions, 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 right? Tell me about your family of origin. Tell me about the things you've experienced as a kid. All this type of stuff, right? Your story is so deeply involved in your life. And it, and it shapes you in ways that you can't even fathom. I've been reading this book. It's very, like, nerdy and philosophical, but it's called Imagining the Kingdom. And one of the biggest premises is he's kind of communicating that, that there's these subconscious things that we believe in the life that we've lived, and we don't even necessarily realize that we like think about them or do them. Like there's things that you do that you just do without even really thinking anymore because it's just become a part of you, right? It's like who you are. You wake up in the morning and you brush your teeth and you're like, I don't even need to think about this. I just do it, right? And, and he talks about this in relation to story and how story does these things to us. They shape things in us. And so this passage and what I think about when we read this, because we're going to read, it's a lot of verses, is I, I just want us to think about two things in relationship to story in this passage. The first one is that stories are powerful, that they shape us. And the second one, and, and this, is, this is kind of sad, but I don't think there's anything more sad or more of a bummer than not being able to share story, not being a part of story. And what I mean by that is like Sarah, when she was sitting at this table, okay, this was classic, like just aloof tray. I'm like, yeah, yeah, and then this story, and we're laughing and giggling. Like two hours have gone by, and we're done and whatever, and two or three hours, we leave, and, and 
Sarah, I can't remember how it went, but she was basically just like, hey, do you know, like, I didn't talk at all. Like, I didn't know what, like, I didn't know what was going on. Like, you told these stories, and they were called kind of all inside stories. And I felt, like, really bad. I had no idea, and we're just, you know, I'm just, I'm loving it, right? And so not being a part of story, I think, is also really detrimental because that's the part of belonging as humans that I think we all desire. Like, we want to be a part of this story. We're like, hey, do you guys remember whenever there was a hole in the floor and we had to come in and, like, patch it? Or we got to, I got to paint that wall or, like, just silly stuff like that. Like, you're a part of the story of Contrast Church. And, and so I think about that, and that's what mission is all about. It's like at the end of the day, I think as a church, really as a big church, not just us, all churches, like, I just want to sit around in heaven and tell stories. That's all I want to do. I want to talk about so-and-so is so far off from God, and they just... You couldn't, you couldn't see, like, you just like, there's no way. There's no way. And then you pray and you pray and you pray and people pray and they pray and they pray and then God just wrecks them, right? And they change their heart. And that's why we tell, like, stories or we do some sort of story up here every Sunday is because that's the reality of what we're doing. We're here to help people's stories include God and to see life change. And so this is, this is what Jesus is doing. And so in verse 1, I'm going to read, starting verse 1, he says, he calls his 12, he says, Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits so that they could cast out, uh, cast them out and heal every kind of disease and sickness. Now remember, just before this last week, we just talked about that Jesus, like we see this really beautiful compassion, splanknomasia is like the, the Greek word, and it means gut. So it's like this, this core of who Jesus is hurts for people and them being confused and lost and bewildered. And, and that's who he is. But remember, this is one of the key things we learned last week is that compassion is never just a noun. It's always a verb as well in the heart of Jesus. So he's never like, oh, I feel compassion. That's what we typically use it as. Oh, I feel compassion for that person, meaning like I just feel sorry for them. That sucks. Hope, hope it gets better. Jesus would never use that. He would say, I, I felt compassion on them, meaning I felt a certain way in my gut and I did something about it. So Jesus is like, I'm going to do something about all these people. So then what does he do? He calls, verse 1, he calls the 12 disciples together, and he gives them what? He gives them authority. Now, I think, like, what's so interesting about authority is, like, obviously that word is pretty negative in, I'd say, 2021, but this idea of authority is what Jesus had built his ministry on, the fact that everything bows down to Jesus. Demons, sickness, the weather, like, nature, Everything bows down to the authority of Jesus, and the people around him are just like, I want to be around that guy. Like, if the world goes bad, he'll fix it. And what he does is he gives the same authority over. We read, like, earlier, he did all these things, unclean spirits, healings, disease, sickness. He gives, that, he gives them authority over unclean spirits so he can cast them out and heal every kind of disease and sickness. And I, th- I think about this, and, like, I'll be honest with you. I read that, and I'm like, I mean, I don't. I don't live my life like I have authority like that. Like, you know, someone's like limping down the street and I'm like, get over here. And I'm just, bam, Jesus name. Like, and it's just like, I can, I can run now. And I know that there's people who do that. And there's, there's a reality of that in the world we live in. But me personally, I read this and I have a hard time fitting that into my everyday life. And I start to wonder, you know, what is, what is the baseline of this authority? This authority is authority over, over demons, over spiritual oppression. And remember at this time, and I actually think they have a better perspective of it than we do 2,000 years later. The physical and the spiritual realm were very much connected. There was not a lot of separation. So they would say, like, if you have a physical ailment, it's probably a spiritual reality that is causing that, right? Like generational sin or, or you did something bad to dishonor the temple or whatever, right? You have that. Nowadays, we, like, separate them, right? It's like, oh, I see ghosts in this haunted house. And then, oh, my leg's broken. Like, there, there's no, like... 
There's no, there's no marrying of the two. But in this, re, in this world, like, there was this deep reality of that, that in order to be able to cast out this physical thing, there was a spiritual realm there that Jesus is addressing. And so what I think is so important about that and why it matters so much about this authority is that today, I think Jesus very well could heal sickness and heal disease. I believe he does. But maybe in our lives, it's not much about going around and just like healing people's legs because maybe that's not the spiritual battle actually. Maybe the spiritual battle is much deeper. Maybe the spiritual battle is guilt or maybe it is shame or maybe it is depression or mental illness or maybe it is a, a, a wealth of things, right? Like debt, poverty. Like there's all these different things that are around us and sometimes we're so like so narrow. I'm like, well, I didn't heal someone's like leg today so I guess I'm just not living in Jesus' authority. But, but five minutes ago, I walked by someone who was weeping and I was terrified to go over there and pray for them because I like, oh, I, I, don't ha- I, I felt like I didn't have authority. Like, I, am I living like I'm so confident that Jesus' authority is, is, is rushing through me that I, I didn't heal the person with the leg, but I just walked by the other person who very well could have needed me in that moment and needed Jesus. It's that classic analogy, you've probably heard it, where there's a guy drowning in the ocean and he's calling out to God. And he's like, God, God, save me, save me. And so a boat comes by and, and they're like, hey, we're here to save you. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God. Like, I'm good. God's going to get me. And then like, he's like, God, save me. And then a helicopter. And they're like, hey, we're here to save you. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm waiting on God. It's fine. It's fine. Like, God's going to save me. And then he keeps shouting out and then he drowns and he dies and he goes up to heaven. And then he's like, God, like, where were you? And he was like, you idiot. I got the boat and the helicopter. Why did you not get on either of them? And that analogy just shows you that sometimes the things that we're looking for, the way that we even look at this is so close-minded to the reality that God is working in. And I think about in America, like, there's still sickness. There's still terrible disease like cancer that just sucks, and it's terrible, and it takes people way too soon. And, And that's a reality we live in. But there's also millions and millions of people who are suffering internally in their heads with their thoughts and their emotions, with their trauma. There's people who are dealing with, um, a spiritual poverty that needs authority of Jesus over it. So I just think about this today. I think about like the, the, the mission of even Grandview, right? And, and where we are and walking among it as if we actually believe that we have authority. Like, do you live your life like you believe I have authority in the name of Jesus to bring the kingdom and let people see it in my life? Do I like pray for people? Do I see the random stranger that comes around me and do I, lo- do I love on them in such a way that I'm like, Jesus give me this authority. This is no brainer. Here we go. I want to pray for them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to help them see their spiritual oppression. It's funny, yesterday night, Sarah and I, I mean, I've been coming in here like most nights for the past probably, other than Thanksgiving, for the past week, like working on stuff. And there's DoorDash right here, DoorMart, and they have people drive, they like pick up the order and they go deliver it. So there's cars always here. Like right now, this is an anomaly because it's Sunday morning, but in a couple hours, there'll be like 20 cars. And they just happen to love to just sit on our steps and eat food and throw it on the ground and just like, just don't care, right? <laughs> I was like getting so mad at Sarah. I was like, I felt like an old man who's like, get off my lawn, you know, you riffraff. And I was like, Sarah, these people just don't care. And I was pretty frustrated. I was kind of had enough. And then one uh, last night, I kid you not, I was here alone. Sarah had left. And I was like, I, was, I had been mad about it a couple of hours ago. And then there's another guy, and he's sitting on the steps as I'm leaving. Like, I'm carrying out all these boxes, and he's sitting right there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, there's so many other places you could sit. And, and I, I, like, I, like, open the door, and, of course, like, it's this loud noise. He turns around, and I was like, hey, how's it going? You know, I was kind of being, I was trying to be nice. But 
and he just told me his name, and, and, and he was like, yeah, I'm just waiting for my wife to get off her doormat. She's working. And I said, at, at that moment, I was like, huh, wow, this guy doesn't seem like, you know, terrible, because I was like already judging him because he was sitting there. And, he, and he's like, yeah, he's like, also, he's like, what's, 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 you know, is this going to be a church? And I said, yeah, it actually is. He says, oh, no way. He says, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm the pastor. And, and he said, no way. That'd be so cool. We'd love to come sometime. And, and we, we really need a church. And it's just funny because in that moment, it was like, you know, I had no compassion, like zero. I had no gut compassion. And, and, God, and God just puts that person on our doorstep. And so it's just a really cool testament of like, even if there's people walking down, up and down the street, like we're here for a reason. So I just think that's a really cool moment that the spirit was like, yeah, trade like the people that, the thing, the thing that you, the box that you put me in, right? The hell, like when the guy's drowning and he's waiting for God, like I'm sending you helicopters, I'm sending you boats. I think is I'm sending you people. Are you actually gonna love them or not? And maybe there's people in your life that aren't like necessarily here, but they're in your life. God has sent you. Are you actually gonna do anything about it? So authority is, is the baseline. Of, of our mission. This set, in verse two through four, we get a fun little list of disciples here. It says, now these names are of 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew. Also, if we don't have a baby named Bartholomew in our church at some point, I'm going to be super bummed. That or Thaddeus. Yeah, Bart. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew's the writer of this gospel. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, big Thad. Uh, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So these are the group that he that he sends, and I want you to just think about these people. Okay, you got people who all these guys are pretty much from the age of 14 to 18. So these are like teenagers. Now in that culture they were men, and a lot of them would have kids at that age. But they were these were teenagers, like in terms of age, they were young. Simon was probably the oldest, they say. And you got let's see who you got here. We got um, nothing nothing special, blue collar dudes, fishermen. Like, that would be equivalent to, like, I don't know, working at Amazon or, like, doing Dormart, Uber. I don't know. Like just, like, blue-collar, simple jobs. And not only that, but then you have these cultural, like, anomalies in their group. So you have Matthew, who's the writer of the gospel. Who is he? He's a tax collector. and not, So he's breaking Jewish people's knees to get taxes, and he's, he's evil, like, basically a, th- a thief who they hate. Okay? He works for the government, the Roman government, who they hate. So you have Matthew in there in the group of people that he's probably stolen from. Then you have, if you read Simon the Zealot, a lot of people don't know what Zealot means. Zealot was this group that was established shortly after um, Jesus. And there was tension while Jesus was, was around, but after he ascended to heaven, there was this group of Jewish people that were violent. Like they would literally plot if, if Romans rules came over the Jewish kind of culture, they would like, they were physical. I mean, they were like, like the Navy SEALs of the Jewish people. So you have this violent guy who also hates the government, who also hates Matthew, who if they were caught together in the wrong street would probably kill him, like let's be honest. And these two are together. And then you have Judas, a guy who's obsessed with money and betrays Jesus in the long run, and he's hanging around there. And, and then you have, yeah, a bunch of fishermen. So this is a group you have that is apparently gonna go equip the world with Jesus's like kingdom. And I think about our group, and, and I mean, I, to be honest, I don't think we have maybe an IRS and a mafia in our church, like the Matthew and, yeah, that we know of, wink, wink. But, but, like, we, but we should, right? Like, that is the, the, the breadth of Jesus' church, is these people who culturally, nine to five would never be together. And they come here and they gather, and, and they're sent to go on mission together 
And, and, it, and, and I think what's so interesting about this reality is you see them start to grow closer and closer to closer as, as Jesus' ministry progresses. Now they still are prideful in a lot of ways and screw up, but when Acts, the book of Acts hits, these people are like going. I mean, they're like, they're just praying and fasting and teaching and, and, and thousands are coming to faith and they're doing it in unity. I mean, there's very little opposition after Jesus dies and ascends than before. And I think it's because when you're on mission, you start to bond together. It, raise your hand if you ever went like on a short-term missions project or trip or something like to doesn't need to be out of the country yeah so I mean I don't know about you if you've ever had like a little reunion or whatever those people are like bonded to you for life you're like remember when we didn't sleep and then we all got like food poisoning or sick and then like we we like built a house or whatever we like evangelize these people it changes you and the reason why is because mission is is an identity former it's a story right you're going and you're willingly stepping into a story that changes your life and that is the commonality of these disciples. These are people who you would not have in a circle other than Jesus. And then he sends them off to go do the mission of Jesus in the midst of all of their tension, their strife, their angst, their gossip, their slander. And I just think about our church. Like we have people who I'm sure don't like other people at our church. I guarantee it, right? There, or there's people you don't get along with or they said something mean to you or whatever. And that's the reality of any church. But what if that's just the beauty of, of the mission of the church is that us broken come together Super different, super eclectic, different priorities, different incomes, different friend groups. And we go do this thing together and people see it and they're like, oh my gosh, what is up with that? Like that is a testament to the authority of Jesus. So at the end of the day, why we read the list and why this is in the passage, why I think it matters is Matthew's highlighting, because he's, he's speaking to Jewish people, these are ordinary people with extraordinary authority. Had they have been wealthy, influential, which, I mean, Matthew was very wealthy, I guarantee it. He was probably one of the richest, like, Jews in the city of Capernaum. It wasn't very big. But they didn't have a lot of influence, wealth, power, most of them. Had they have had all that, extraordinary power means nothing. Like, like um, it's funny, uh, Elon Musk, uh, several weeks ago, was joking about, uh, with some organization about how they claim they could end world hunger with a certain amount of money. And he was just like, if you can prove it, I'll give you the money. And at the end of the day, that would be awesome, right, if it worked. But, like, what is, for Elon, $1 billion? Like, he's so rich, it's, like, it's nothing. Whereas if the, if the U.S. rallied together and we raised $1 billion, it'd be so cool and so awesome. And so it would be way more of a testament to, like, people's faith in that than just one person, which would be cool if Elon Musk did it, let's be honest. But that's what I think we're showing here. He picks the most raggy-tag group. He picks a group who would not fit together, and then he sends them out, and they literally, like, bond, they, people are set free from oppression, and it's so much cooler. And so as he sends them out, here's the instructions he gives them. There's three pieces that we follow here. The first one is that he tells them who to go to. He gives them his target region. So verse 5, Jesus sent out the 12, instructing them as follows. He says, do not go on a road that leads to Gentile regions. Do not enter any Sumerian town. Go instead to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is kind of, this just trips a lot of people up because they're like, wait a second, like, does Jesus not care about the Gentiles? Is it only for the Jewish people? And the, the short answer I'm going to give you is no, it's not that, that's not the case. Um, but if you read the Old Testament, God has chosen Israel to be this beacon of light. Um, it's kind of like the garden, right? We see like what God intended in the garden. Then he brings it through Israel for the rest of humanity. Israel is to be this like beautiful uh, law-following garden. And they keep screwing up. And so he still promised them this blessing. And so Jesus is saying, hey, 
You don't got to go far. Like the people around you, the people we want to reach, Jewish people. And so I think about just having like who is the people that we are trying to motivate and move towards. The second piece he gives them is the nature of their mission. Um, And it's like compassion. It's not just a feeling, but it's also an action. So in verse 7, it says, as you go, preach this message. message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely you give. This message has not changed the entire book of Matthew. John the Baptist, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus' first words, first teaching, we see, repent, the kingdom of God is near. What does he tell them to do? The kingdom of heaven is near. This message is not changing, and, and that is the word, right? That is the thing that, that we, we teach, but then it's always followed with action. He says, go around and show the authority you have over spiritual oppression. Heal sick, raise the dead, cast out lepers, or cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And so you don't just preach the kingdom, but you let them see the reality of it. And then the coolest thing is he says, which I think is fascinating, is you do this for free. Like the coolest thing about sharing your faith is it costs absolutely nothing. Like this building's cool and this is awesome, but it costs money. At the end of the day, like you don't need to spend a penny to, to have someone like experience Jesus and, and I love how he does this because they go around and, and it, they, they don't have to pick and choose. Like imagine if we had to pick people based on how much money they made, right? Like they go to houses that are only this big, right? And they only, well, you have to have this much money in order to receive my message or my healing, right? And, and at the end of the day, they go to probably people who would have never been able to afford it, never been able to even probably culturally be around them. And they go to these, these, these cracks of the, the, the confused and the rejects and the people who Jesus says are blessed and that's who they are generous with. So do we give freely? And, and we give freely because we've received freely. And that's what he's talking about. Like I, I've chosen you guys freely. I've loved you freely. And you go do that as well. And then the last one, which is probably the most radical and the one that we probably have the hardest time trying to figure out how does this contextualize to our life, is how, how they are to be cared for. So he says in verse 9, do not take gold, silver, or copper in your belts, no bag for the journey or an extra tunic or sandals or staff, for the worker deserves his provisions. And then he says, when you enter a town or village, find out who is worthy there and stay with them until you leave. As you enter the house, greet those within it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come in it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your message, you shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or that town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for the region of Sodom and Gomorrah on the Day of Judgment than for that town. And, and, I mean, you read this and you're like, okay, actually, this is kind of starting to m- remind me of what we just talked about several weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount, where it says, don't worry about the things. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about all these different things. Those are the worries of the world. He says, seek first the kingdom, and, and, and all those things will be given to you. And, and it's this idea that, like, he's, he's like, hey, I taught that, now you're going to go do it. And I can imagine some of the disciples being like, curious how long are we going to do this like is this going to be years because this is like we kind of need stuff or is it going to be days or weeks or whatever but at the end of the day like if, if you were in this situation so imagine Jesus telling you this you got your buddy who you're going to be paired with right get a like Mormon style right two pairs of twos you're going to go up to houses or whatever and and he's like hey don't take anything except like your outfit and, and then one staff and that's it like he would be terrified but then, like, after day two, day three, day four, you're probably, like, the most free human being on earth. Like, think about it. You literally have nothing to worry about. Like, you're like, yeah, well, I'm worried about eating and all that, but I've actually seen God provide these last few days, and all of my life has to be dependent on the sustenance of the Father, of God. 
because I don't have anything to provide for myself. And so out of the dependence, then they see all these different miracles and, and fruit happen. I kind of get jealous. I think we're all terrified to just get rid of everything, and I'm not saying we need to do that, but like I get jealous of the fact that they could just literally go, not have to worry about, not have to worry about their internet, our internet crash, and I had to call people and, and figure that out, or like, Oh, like your, your house floods, or you got to mow your lawn or blow your leaves. Leaves happen every year. You have to blow your leaves. What is up with that? But all this stuff, like it sounds funny, but I'm like, this is my life. Like this is the things I have to worry about every day or every season. And they can just, the freedom they have, the lightweightness that they have. And so I just, I think like for us, when we try to contextualize this, I just think about what are the things that are really just burdening your life? What are the things that don't matter that you spend a lot of your time doing or wasting away at that has no eternal perspective because at the end of the day and what I talked about earlier is we want to sit around we want to sit around and tell stories and the story that won't matter in earth is how much your 401k was the story that won't matter is how many Netflix shows you watched like we're not going to talk about squid game in heaven okay there probably won't be any internet (laughs) I don't know but it's like those won't matter What's going to matter is, is the, the, the margin in your life that you gave away to others to be generous, that you freely gave to people that let them see the kingdom in front of them, that let them see that you believe in an authority much greater than the world's reality of authority. And, and so I just think about these stories, and here's, here's the coolest picture of this in Matthew 6, just to close. So Nick, I'll, I'll invite you up. Let me get out of your way. Um, is... In Matthew 6, uh, there's, a, there's this story is recorded again, the Gospels. It's another depiction of this story that we just read. But what's cool is they get to see people come back. So they talk about, they do it, and then they come back, and we get to hear about it. And it says this in chapter 6, verse 30. Then the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught, action and word, right? And I just, I can't even imagine this. Like, they come back, I don't know, a few days later, a few, probably a few weeks later, and they're like, Jesus, I can't believe it. Like, it worked. Like, we're here in one piece. I still have my same tunic on. People welcomed us in. We share the gospel. Like, demons were cast out. Spiritual oppression was, was, like, was gone in people's lives. People found freedom. And just sitting around and telling these stories. There's another uh, depiction where Jesus sends out 72 people, and they do it again. And they tell all these stories, and it's like this just beautiful thing. And I just think about, like, in a few months, are we going to be able to sit around and tell stories? You know, are we going to be able to sit around and tell stories about people who we wrote off, people in our family or our friends, our coworkers, the people in our neighborhood that we were just like, yeah, I'm feeling like I, I'm just really discouraged, like I haven't seen any fruit or they just are hesitant or whatever. And are we going to be able to sit around and tell stories and share about the reality of this? And the coolest thing about this is not just the stories you tell, but the people who come to hear about it. What happens is, they, they, verse, verse 30, they, they gather around, they tell him everything they had done and taught, and then look what happens in verse 31. He says to them, after they're telling him this, he says, come with me privately to an isolated place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and there was no time to eat. They come back, and they're just like so pumped to tell Jesus about all these wins they had, right? And they're, like, he's just like, hey, like, let's like, let, you use all your energy, let's, let's slow down, let's go like find a place to retreat. So they went away by themselves in a boat to some remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they hurried on foot from all the towns and arrived there ahead of them. Then, as Jesus came ashore, he saw the large crowd, and he what? He had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd, and so he taught them many things. Now, I don't know if you realize what's going to happen next. If you're following along, that's okay. If you're not, the next verse is the feeding of the 5,000. 
which means that these stories these people had told, the freedom that people had experienced, they go to tell Jesus and thousands of people come to hear these stories because they've experienced the kingdom in front of them. We forget that the stories that our friend that we're praying for, like let's just say our really good friend comes to Jesus and we like, praise God. You don't realize 100 people might come because now that they've seen that person's life change. And so I just think about, that not only are we gonna tell stories, I think if we're faithful to what God's calling us to, but that other people will be around us to hear those stories. Thousands of people, that's why he fed them, because they were so consumed with wanting to be around the stories these people were telling, they went off into a countryside and they were like, shoot, we don't have any food. And he's like, he's like all right, well, let's feed them then. That's where the feeding of 5,000 comes from. So I just, I, we're in a, such a sweet moment and I just, I think about, um, you know, in 10, 20 years and, and, and you know how if you have um, maybe an older like a grandpa or a relative who, who fought in the wars, right? And they like go to the VFW and, and they just, they love to just sit around and tell war stories, right? And you're always like, grandpa, wow, you've told this story like a thousand times. It's because it's just a part of who they are. And some of them are tragic and they cut you deep and you can't get rid of them. And some of them are so like exciting and freeing and, and, and adrenaline and, and they saw, you know, like all these things, right? And they, they become who they are and they can't help not being a part of it in their life. And I just think about like our, in t- 10, 20 years, can we have stories that, we, that last that we get to tell people about? Can I tell my daughter in, in 18 years, like I remember when you were running around here and there was 25 of us and this place was not ready to go and then people just, the spirit just moved and people heard Jesus' name. So I just want to encourage you as we close that, you know, he calls us, he calls us to, to pray for workers in the harvest, that the harvest is plentiful and that I want us to just be a part of that. So, I want to pray for us, and then uh, we'll go into a time of reflection. So, Lord, you ask us to pray for workers for the harvest, and that it's plentiful. And I just pray, Lord, that on our own hearts that we would accept that call. And, Lord, it's super hard. I mean, man, these disciples gave up everything to follow you. And there's things in our life that we're not willing to give up. Some of us we're not even willing to acknowledge because we're terrified of what it will do to us. But, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would move just in a freeing way in our hearts, in this area, in this space. Lord, not, not that we get to just brag about fruit, but that we just get to be excited about the faithfulness and the joy and the blessing that comes with that. And uh, Lord, we just, we ask for, uh, for your, your just calling hand to, to guide us to the harvest and that we would be a part of willing, that we would live just with authority as Jesus has spoken, that we're confident about the security we have and that how it can play into others. And so, We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.